Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa and I'm your host. And today we have an amazing and fascinating guest with us today. So as you know, we travel around Australia meeting amazing humans in our sector. And this is one of those amazing humans that I've been trying to get on our podcast for about six months. And we finally had some time where it all lined up. So I want to introduce you to Belinda Severino. Um, She is one of these humans that I just really wanted to get on to share her story. So welcome, Belinda. Thank you. I love that intro. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from and what is your current role? Okay. So actually, it's funny. I actually started not... I always knew I wanted to do teaching, but then I thought... I would do psychology before I did teaching. So I actually started a psychological science um, degree and then I got into it and halfway through I transferred and I was like, no, I want to do teaching. I wasn't sure about the primary or the early childhood. So I did a bachelor of primary and early childhood. Um, So I did that. I went into that in 2014. I did that, saw that through. Um, and then I was working all casually, which was pretty much part-time. I balanced it from about 2015. I got my first job in early childhood after my first placement and I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with it. And then after I finished uni, I came to the current service where I'm at and I've been here since and I just, just love it. I just love it. Um, I started in the toddler room. And I thought I would never, ever, ever leave the toddler room. I did like a year and a bit in the toddler room and just a position came up with staffing and changing. They were like, would you consider going to the preschool room? And I was like, oh, scared to leave the toddlers. You're comfortable in what you know. You found your rhythm. You've, you've worked with your team. And I was like, okay. So I progressed to the preschool room. And then my passion was just like, bang, I found. It was just like, Wow. I just loved it. I loved the play-based learning. I loved, you know, preparing them for their transition to school Um, and just the interactions you can have with that age group. I I just really loved it. So I did that. Then I went, I became the educational leader. And then companies sort of went through um, not a restructure, I would say, but, you know, different positions and things. So now the position I'm in from the passion that grew, I do the head of education and quality. So it's sort of um, creating, I guess, supporting a curriculum against the early years learning framework, supporting the staff, um, transition to schools, um, family involvement, just really inviting everyone into the early years and what we can do um, for everyone. I love that. It takes a special human to love those toddlers. (laughs) You know what? It's funny. Some people are like, some people are like, how do you do it? You know, how do you do it? But it's just some, it's the part of your day that it just grounds you. It's so down to earth. Like I just, it's just, you know, you spend five minutes outside and you're just like, wow, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Totally just, agree. Yeah. So you mentioned a big passion in play-based learning. And I, th- mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that a lot of people in our sector still find, um, you know, a bit of a myth around intentional teaching and that play-based learning, particularly mm. around transition to school. So yeah. how would you define, like, what is play-based learning and what's important in early childhood education? You know, it's funny, everyone's, a lot of people or families here use play and learning as two different terms. They don't, they say, okay, when are they doing learning? Because now they're doing play. And I'm just like, no, which is what I guess you, I would love to see more passion in people coming into our industry saying, hang on a minute, 
play-based learning is just one. It's the spaces you set up, the experiences you provide for children that give you a real holistic approach to learning. Um, Hands-on exploration that takes them to so many different places. Like I think they say the research is, I think you might have to correct me on this, Lisa, is up to seven years children learn best through play. Um, yeah, and I've only recently learned that our brains are full, only fully developed mid-20s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But, yeah, wow, definitely that sponge before seven years. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, children have their whole kids – they have their whole life to step into that, what people might define as learning is that academic, that sitting down, that writing. But people don't understand you can't just get there. You've got a plan like, you know, they need your fine motor skills and that doesn't come through just, you know, a little attention span. Imagine just sitting there and just handwriting like that rote learning over and over again. If someone's not interested in it or there's no interest, there's no passion, no one's going to want to do it. I mean, I wouldn't want to do something that, you know, so much repetitive. And so threading, puzzles, playing outside, that gross motor, those group games, play offers such a holistic um, outlook that I think people don't realise. And play and learning are one. And how do you... um how do you share with families? So when you get families come for tours and things of your centre, mm-hmm. um, how yeah. do you or you get a family say play learning these two separate things? How do you explain to families what that is and what that looks like? So when we do a tour, usually I like to have um, sort of areas set up. So like, so you've got your little, your little play spaces in your room. You've got your home corner. You've got, you know, your general ones. You've got your construction, got your cognitive, you know, but when you walk through and kids are playing, say, in home corner, I think it's always important to stop and say, okay, this is our play we've got happening today, but this is what they are learning through the play and the educators are guiding. So when you're in home corner, you know, it's your social, emotional, you're learning to play alongside, you're learning to share, um, you're gaining confidence, you're making friends. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, kids are doing puzzles. They're, they're thinking, they're reasoning, they're problem solving. Um, blocks, you know, blocks is a classic one. Everyone just, kids love Lego and Mobilo and they don't realise that all the learning that can come, your fine motor, um, you know, even something to transition to school, numbers. Okay, let's make let's make a tower. How many pieces should we build our tower with? You know, that conversation, they're thinking, they're expressing their agency. I think it's stopping to take that time when a family walks in and to explain to them what they're seeing beyond what they see, if that makes sense. Um, and then I think a big thing is to having those parent workshops, inviting them into your space, inviting them into the curriculum because I don't think there's not a a lot of, I don't think there's a lot, you know, you know primary school, you know the syllabus, you know that at the back of the hand, but do people really know the early years and all the intention that's gone behind that play. So setting up those spaces. I know I had one workshop, transition to schools, obviously a really big topic, I think. Um, and it was on it. We have a round table and I set up different experiences with little cards on the table that families could walk around and say, so for just use, you know, threading, um, but what they are doing through that threading, what is, that is helping your child gain, Um you know, Play-Doh, classic Play-Doh. Everyone loves Play-Doh. But, you know, and Play-Doh is so great to do at home. You know, sometimes families are like, oh, what can we do? It's raining. Make Play-Doh together. You know, you're taking the time to make the Play-Doh. Ingredients, there's your numeracy, your literacy, your your procedure following. Um, And then you're playing with it. You're creating. You're manipulating. You're, you know, those muscles are going. There's so many things happening that's values beyond just sitting with a pen and paper. Yeah, and that's the exact example that I use when I explain it to families actually around Play-Doh. And I think it's important to remember that it's not just the experience or the activity that you're doing, but the process and the journey that goes into it right from that beginning stage. 
I think that's something we spoke about. Yeah, um, the process. And it's funny because after we spoke about it, it was actually funny. So um, artworks, kids' artworks, sometimes just say you're creating, I think we were focusing on, you know, cultures and we, we were recreating some landmarks that we had researched together and the kids were investigating and a family was like, oh, no, like this looks nothing like, you know, and I was like, well, do you know all the steps that we took to get here and the learning has made this beautiful artwork, you know, the, the cutting, where am I going to put it, how do I think, I've looked at this, and it's came, it may not look like it exactly, but it's just a beautiful, like you said, process of learning that they took to get there, you know. And I think sometimes we might hang up that artwork or we might hang up that creation and not have that documentation that supports that to show families or anyone walking through with, you know, what went into that and what that journey looked like. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. Um, And I love in your service um, or your services how you have your art gallery and the little plaques next to your um, designs with how it came to be. You know... It's just like with any job, like I don't know what goes in your job day to day. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So when you come here and you tell me all the amazing things you do, I'm like, wow. So if families just get a little snippet, that can prompt a conversation with an educator. And I think that's what we as educators need to do is we learn alongside the children and with them, but we can educate the families um, to understanding just how amazing the early years is. And I think that's a massive part of our job that's a bit under understated, I think, that massive part of us, like how we do it every single day, as you said. So we know and we've got that unconscious mind because we just do and it's been ingrained in us. Whereas when we get families come through who have never experienced it before, who don't understand, it's a massive part of our job to educate them. Yeah, and I think even other people, like I know the famous stereotype is you're just babysitters you're just sitting all day, you're just, and it's like, no, we are doing so much more, so much more. Um, It's that stereotype of the early years. And I think sometimes I love like, like I know like when, you know, trainees start or new people, I love working with them to just see that passion go, oh, my God, this is what we can do. Like I can come in and set up this experience and this is what it can do. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your what would you say is one of your biggest challenges at the moment with integrating um, play-based learning or in your role in general? Biggest challenge with integrating play-based learning, I think, is I'm going to say it's the – it'll be your transition to school, that play and that linking that with a transition to school and – how support what we do supports that transition beyond pen and paper you know balancing with that with families expectations even sometimes with schools expectations um I think with all the um I think just the evolving world too I think that's probably the biggest challenge to say this is what we're doing and this is how it's going to support this, you know, beyond the academic, you know, you want a social, emotional, your physical, you want everything of that learner. So when they go from us, they're ready to be in that classroom and be an active member of society and just be their own little independent person who can exercise their agency and just enjoy their day, you know. Oh, and it's that's- so true. It makes me so sad that we put so much time and effort into creating little individual human beings um, Mm. and for them to be able to be themselves, express themselves, um, you know, and then they sort of move on to the school system, which has so far to go. Um, And there are some schools. Yeah, absolutely. Between us and the school system. And it's so funny because we're all the same thing to educate and you know, get them ready for life, but the gap is just so big. Huge. Huge. It's so, so big. And um, I think that's that's really a challenge. So I think that that's on us to take time to educate those parents and have those workshops. And, you know, I love having, like, outside our little preschool room, there's information ready to say, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it, 
um, how you can, I know we spoke about this, Lisa, and you actually gave me the idea of um, weekly family challenges. So let's just use a Play-Doh example. Make Play-Doh together and what can you create? So every week I'll send an activity home and then at the bottom it says how it links to the framework and what um, play-based learning is occurring within those challenges. And it gets them to take the time to spend together and they're sort of seeing the learning because they're driving it at home. They're driving that play with their child. They're not hearing it from us. They're firsthand exploring it with their child, um, which has worked really great. Yeah, and that came from um, obviously seeing that you were sending homework home um, because mm. your families were really big about homework. Um, mm. But, ra- you know, of course, because they're older siblings and everyone were doing homework as well. And it's fine, mm. Like, you, but you've got to think about what is the intention here? Like what do I want to create from this and as you said it's a time for connection it's a time Mm. for actually building on those skills and I love 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 that you've used it to educate the families at the same time yeah it's it's actually it's been such a hit and you know every week I'll get um photos of them completing it at home and it's funny I actually got my first challenge sent back to me oh um a little child and the family had created a code through toys so I had to think of the first letter of every they created a picture and it ended up spelling happy Monday oh that is so cute yeah but it was funny because I was sitting there not creating a challenge I was doing a challenge and I was like I had a lot of fun doing it myself and it was a really nice way to start your week and to see like this family had taken it on their own like the parents created a challenge with their child do you know what I mean to send back to you (laughs) yes and it was really nice to see that but I think it also makes a difference if we take that time with families and they'll give us that time back you know it's so true it's so true I think you know sometimes you hear some services on people say oh you know our families don't really import or but I'm always like well have you taken the time to start that like educate them, take the time, put the information out there, put the things out there, open the doors, like, you know. Actually, yes, your services are the best at getting family, <laughs> like family input and getting families involved. I remember one day, um, I can't remember what it was, but families were handing over like $10 notes, $20 notes, $50 notes. Um, I think it was your chef book. Was it your menu book? It might, I think, was it our menu book or was it for our book week? Oh, I can't remember now. But because yeah, they were just like, yeah, take it. <laughs> I think it was for book week because um, we did our rooms created stories together um, and they sequenced them and we sold them off. Um, parents could donate, they could purchase their child's artwork and we work um, every year we donate to Bear Cottage. So that was just a way they get their child's art book and we together, all the kids voted for books they liked and we sent them off to Bear Cottage. So beautiful. Um, yeah, but I think, but without starting that conversation and welcoming families and getting them to see the early years for what it really is, don't think it comes that easy personally. And where would you start? Like, so if it's like getting families involved, educating families, getting them really into and understanding what it is that we do, like, where did you start in that journey? I mean, it's the first thing I start was relationships, like building those relationships with families, um, getting to really know their children. I think when you get to know their children, you get to know them a little bit before you get to know them. So having that relationship open, um, And I think as an educator, I think, what's the word? Um, Scanning the room. So no, like, no, like looking at the room and thinking, okay, so for example, you know, in the toddler room, just something as simple as at the beginning of the year, you can see like mums and dads are walking in and they're distressed because they've been on holidays and children are coming in crying and they're so frazzled. They don't want to leave them. Okay. I recognize this is common across the board how can I start a conversation with that family, with this family, and what information can I put out there to support them, you know, in their drop-off? So it might be having a conversation with them individually and then collating tips and trips for families to take. You might send it out via your online platform or, you know, I love always having things accessible in this, like your sign-in and out station because some families aren't online or grandparents pick up or, you know, you have to cater to everyone. So I think starting that, and then continuing on from there. 
Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And it all comes back to relationships. Yeah, I think that's even with us as adults, you know, you're not, you need to have being belonging, connection, you yeah. know? Yeah. Just feeling comfortable and opening that space for someone to come and trust you because that's essentially like we're getting handed over someone's whole world. Mm. So they need to trust you in confidence and say they're coming here to have a great day. They're going to learn so many valuable things through play and hands-on and you know, we can learn off the families and they can learn off us. Yeah, and how do you find that balance, like between um, obviously play-based learning and academic readiness? This has been a lot of trial and error for me too. This yeah. is a good trial and error for me too. I think it's just, I know I said this before, but I think really educating myself and the team and then educating families to find and looking at. So I know like a lot of our families within the area that we're in the service room, we're quite close to a primary school. Um, and there's a lot surrounded about um, school readiness tutoring. Oh, so pre-uni. Sort of, yes. Yeah. So sort of looking at, okay, I've got this there, I've got that there, I've got this there, and I've got in my information here, how can we circle it all to provide the best learning space for the children because that's what, you know, that's what our goal is at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's all about the best. I thought about how can I integrate all those little, um, how can I integrate those voices coming from everyone, coming from what your educators bring in, what our children need, what our families want and sort of considering the world and different perspectives that are happening. Um, so I sort of look at it as, you know, we've got – it's all through play and all through interest and it's all emerging from children. But, you know, we might look at something. So we know to go into school, you know, you've got, you want found that like they, the families want to see foundation skills here. That's what they want to see. So how can we support those foundation skills? So writing, you know, painting, Play-Doh, slime, um, Numbers outside, and our kids are really loving scavenger hunts now. Awesome. So loving scavenger hunts. So, you know, um, find, you know, three things outside that start with the first letter of your name. Numbers, three things, letters, they're thinking, they're outside, they're social, they're having fun, they're exploring. So I think it's just showing them how we can integrate everything into that play keeping that open and continually inviting families into seeing that. So updating them regularly, um, you know, even like a scavenger hunt. So if they're walking around with their little clipboard and, you know, they're drawing what they found or writing or however they want to depict it, a family comes, look at what we did today, you know, just trying to find that, that balance and saying this is what we've done and this is, well, the play in academics is one because this is the academic that's happened through the play. Yeah. This is the learning that we've got out of it. Oh, and I um, remember, I don't know if you were the same in your like primary um, <laughs> pracs and years, but I remember um, in my internship, um, I remember my supervisor say to me, no, this is actually time for um, like, you know, this is HSIE. you got to get your HSIE book out. And I was like, you know what? I can do all of that in a morning session. Like, and I think it was so funny. And that's the exact reason that I'm not in primary and why I have such a passion about early childhood because we can integrate so many. So many different yes, things. Into everything that we do. And I think that's sometimes a, like, you know, when you got with just educators and working as us, like, you know, you've got a program, you think about all the different areas, you know, you can provide to kids and educators just like, we can't all do this in one day. You know, and, and you just overwhelm yourself mm. before you take a step back and say, we can do sensory, we can do literacy, we can do cognitive, we can do um, gross motor, we can do, we can do that all in one. Yeah. And that could be done in a 10 minute um, experience guided, you know, through kids' interests by them. It can just happen. It can happen spontaneously and it can happen planned. I think if you take a step back and look at everything we can create in our space in early childhood, like the value is just endless. I think sometimes it, it overwhelms you before you 
And I think that's about building your experience and your knowledge. Like I talk about it like a tool, a tool belt. And as educators are obviously building and growing in the space and in their knowledge, they've got to put the tools in their tool belt and start learning these strategies as they go. But how are you supporting new educators who might be feeling overwhelmed with thinking about all these concepts? And you're right. They Mm. think about them as really singular and like these little things separate to everything else. Um, But how do you support them to understand that it, they can be integrated it's actually funny we're actually this topic's been arising through the past three weeks within our toddler room because we've had a few um we've got a trainee and a new staff member that just came to us that hasn't really had that much experience so you know for the first time they're looking at you know you've got the paperwork aspect you've got the expectations they're looking at all of them they're like oh my god how can I do this? So I think at first, again, I know relationships are so building that relationship, getting to know your team and what their strengths are and what they can bring to the table that we might not, what their goals are, what they can work towards. So finding all of that. And then I think it's getting in there with them on the floor um, and like planning those not planning, sorry, scanning your room and then planning for those spontaneous moments. So, you know, if we transport our topic at the moment. Um, So I know the other day we were having a discussion like, oh, a family wants to see um, their child, you know, focusing on all the letters of the alphabet. Okay, so we've got, we have to respect our family voice. That's completely fine. But we're not going to sit there and just go A, B, C, D, E, F, G in a piece of paper. We know they like transport. We know... um, a big goal of their is their fine motor, their cognitive and their gross motor, trying to get that all happening. So we sat there and we thought, well, what could we do that's going to get them you know, interested? And she said, why don't we create um, sustainability is a big thing. We're also focusing now on getting, you know, parents, you know, upcycling and things like that. So they created, well, they are in the midst of creating their own um, little car park. So driving in and, you know, you've got your letter A bay, your B bay, your C bay, so you've got your literacy. You've also got your reasoning, your cognitive, you're coming together, you've got your creative arts, you're creating your car park. And then you've also got a health and safety side of it because during all that play and things, you can sit there and discuss how can I be safe in a car park? How can I be safe around a road? How can I, you know, how can I, you know, you're still little, you're going to be with an adult, of course, but, you know, I know, oh, I can't cross here, there's cars here or things like that. So taking the time to sit with them and plan and support them in that. So like training wheels and then slowly, slowly step back. The training wheels are off and you hopefully see that passion, you know, drive off by itself. Yeah, and I think when you introduce that and you see that light in their eyes, they're like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it. Like that. that's a huge like moment. How- yeah, like how they feel for the children. Sometimes I feel like, like I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm sure you'd feel it all the time. Yeah, with the educators. Yeah, it's an amazing yeah. feeling um, yeah. to support and guide and really help people to, to have those moments. Mm. Um, how do you feel about technology and play-based learning? I think when technology is used purposefully and um, – obviously keeping in mind, you know, you've got your screen time and allowance and you've like what it's doing. And I think it can be really, really fun. Um, I think it can be really fun in the classroom. I know there's this new thing. I don't know if it's new. It's, um, I know. So early childhood STEM within early childhood is becoming a bit more, um, advocated for a bit more recognized, a bit more, you know, it's coming in. There's like a little technology. So you've got your iPad, and it's like a little app for kids and it's it's a STEM one and it sort of sets a challenge with them. So they've got to sort of create, like it might be, I don't know, for an example, just creating a volcano. So they use their technology to make their little plan, but then it stops there and then you've, it leads into your hands-on exploration that starts your whole um, investigation, I guess, for your room. So I think when it's used purposely, it can be a really great tool and, I mean, our whole world is surrounded with technology 24-7, you know. So I guess if you can integrate some real-life concepts purposely for your kids, why not? 
Yeah, and you know, I actually saw a really cool app recently um, or a website. It's a sand. It's sand art. And so I saw it for like early finishes and um, things in the classroom. So if you're doing something and you want to just create and all you do, like children can pick the color of the sand they want and they just scrape their finger off where they want that sand to fall. And it ends up creating this beautiful sand art piece across the whole screen. Um, And I thought that's so beautiful. So even we can do digital creative processes, um, Mm. similar to what you said about drawing the design for their like, you know, um, volcano. But yeah, I think it's... Agree. It's how you use it. It's another tool. It is how you use it because you don't want to walk in and see someone just sitting there glued to a piece of technology for no reason. I think it's how you use it. And, you know, when they, again, that gap, as soon as you step into primary, you're exposed to all the technology. I know some kindies have iPads. They've got their little computer. They've got, you know, their time in the library. So there's so much happening that. Oh, it's starting mm. earlier and earlier. I, I worry where like handwriting is going to go. I know. Sometimes even, you know, when you're on the computer all day and I have to hand, I'm like, I need my fine motor, like my hand's yeah, getting shaky. Yeah, exactly. If I don't have that strength. And then that actually, that's a good way to explain it to parents too, you know, with your fine motor, like when they step off their computer, you can't write a full sentence. So that's what our kids need that just reminded me that's another example I like to use yeah Yeah. and we've been looking at um you know have you seen the x-rays of the children's hands at like um four years old and seven years old oh I'll have to share it with you we've been talking about it a lot because everyone's been well a lot of our services have been doing our um preparation for school um meetings with the families and Mm -hmm. the schools and this x-ray I'll share it with you and I'll share it on our Facebook page for anyone listening the the x-ray of a four-year-old child's hand you can see the bones are actually spread really far apart so the bones are not actually developed enough to sit there and hold a pen whereas Mm -hmm. at seven you can see how the bones transform they become closer together and they transform into a way where you can actually hold a pen and so what they say is that our, like even your bones at four are not structured enough to hold that pen. And what we're expecting of children to do at a certain age, their their bones and their body have certain limitations for them not to be able to even do it. Wow, that's, that's actually really interesting. And see something like, so, you know, you sharing that with me, then I would take it on myself to research that a little bit or connect with you and then share that. That's something amazing that people can share with families, I think, too, like, that's a perfect example there. Yeah, and I Just, like to draw a lot of inspiration, you know, like from Finland and Sweden, um, mm-hmm. the happiest people in the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like what they do, like children don't start actually writing until they're seven years old. Wow. So I think we forget. Like you just yeah. you just forget sometimes if you're not in it or you're not thinking about it or you're not a child you just forget and I think you gotta just take two steps back well and look at the research I think like look at the why really Mm. really delve into okay well if Finland and Sweden over here are not writing until seven why Mm. and look at that research look at the you know the x-rays look at the data in our bodies um with why that's the case Mm. Like that's something you said to, I know when you travelled through our services, know your why. Or you would ask some of the staff randomly, what's your why? Um, And I think sometimes people get so caught up in just the craziness and the stress and and then if they take a step back and remember, oh, this is my why, then your gears back into motion and you're ready to, you're ready to go. You need it on those hard days, absolutely. You need it on those hard days, but I think just the industry we're in and you've got such a much more, um, you know, with primary, it's very set. You've, you're teaching this, like you said, the Haitian, you know what you've got to do this term and that term, but it's like, you've got, you've got a blank book and you've got, you know, say there's 20 children, you've got 20 little hands in your room to help you write that book with you. So, you know, plus their families, plus, Mm. you know, your team, you've got so many voices to help you write a beautiful story, you know? Yeah, and I love the way that you integrate the children into everything that you do. Well, I think if you don't integrate the children into what you do, you know, like what's like what are you doing sort of thing, you know, if you want if you want a response or you want you want to you want to plan things for a reason or purposefully, 
you've got to you've got to get their voice. They just because they're little doesn't mean they don't want to be heard too. You know, like I you know I sometimes like if I was planning a holiday, I'd want to be a part of that planning. You know. So the kids, they want to come to school, not, oh, I want to learn about transport. Great. We're going to fly with this topic. Where are we going to go from here, you know? I think it's important to get them to take responsibility and become a part of, you know, their play, their day, their learn, everything they're doing they should be a part of. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about that because in EYLF 2.0, the introduction of it, mm-hmm. it's been talking about children documenting their own learning. Mm. And it was like a light bulb for me. I don't know why I'd never thought about it before. I was like, my gosh, if you're in a three to five-year-old classroom, why can't they document their own learning? No, I know there's so many different ways they can document their own learning. Like our children, they really love, right now our preschool room, love the concept of floor books. Mm. And I think the floor books, getting down on the floor, everyone's together, and sometimes without even – talking about it or, you know, they'll sit there, they'll grab it at random and they'll document their learning. Like I know we were focusing on, we were learning about um, some of our friends from China and they just, they were obsessed with the Great Wall of China and they were all going to climb it the next day. (laughs) And they had plans, they were ready to go, but they sat there together and they sort of depicted their own Great Wall of China and they were documenting their learning. They were talking you know, they were sharing with each other. They got their fine motor in there, um, colour recognition too, their cognitive, their, you know, the pencils they were using, which colour they wanted to use and why. And that was a space where they just, I mean, they took pride in sort of what they did without anyone else, just with each other. But it was really, really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I love, like, it's just an early childhood thing, isn't it? Because we can go wherever the children want to go. Yeah, that's that's actually, well, I was talking with one of the our ECTs who also did the primary degree and she was like, because I said to her, what made you not go into primary? Like, what was your, into early childhood? And she said, I just love the freedom we have in early childhood. And I think that does make such a big difference such a big difference and I think if you've got that opportunity to exercise that freedom and educate people with that freedom then you need to do it you have to do it yeah it's almost like an obligation yeah it's not a maybe you have to do it (laughs) like you have to do it yeah we have to stand up for the children it's almost like you know if we look at their rights like they have a right to play-based learning and the other thing I wanted to address earlier on like you said about doing a worksheet compared to doing something that was hands-on and using all of their senses. Like Mm. I I always default to if you're bored as an educator, the children are also going to be bored. Yeah. So what can you do? Like bring back that joy, have fun. Um, how How do you embed that in your team? The engagement and the... Yeah, the fun, the joy. I think... Well, I think a lot of it, I know, I'll say again, relationships, <laughs> relationships. Honestly, I really am a big believer for relationships. So, you know, the team come into a, a workspace that they feel an environment comfortable, you know, confident to be themselves, to share their skills and sometimes to admit, you know, what they might be struggling with. And then taking the time, I guess, as your management team or, you know, to educate and support the, you know, the girls or the, the boys, whoever, um, in having providing that engagement. You know, sometimes you're just so flat and you just need someone to come in and say, hey, you okay? You know, have a chat. What are we doing today? What are you struggling with? What can I help you with? And just reminding them of their why. Like, this is what we're here to do. You've got 20 little learners in there waiting for you. What are we going to do today? Like, let's not forget why we're here. Um, yeah, I think that's just the biggest thing. Let's not forget why you're here because it's not like we're coming into a typical sort of job. Every day is a different day here. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of surprises. Yeah, so, so many. What's What's your why? My why? Oh, I think I'll put you on the spot now. <laughs> I know, Lisa, like you've asked everyone else and they asked me. My why, I think 
why I love doing what I'm doing is just I love, I honestly just really love growing and learning alongside the children. I love coming into work and, you know, being flexible and being able to provide you know, spaces for families and children to explore and just I just love when I see that growth. I love it when I see that growth in a family member that they're like, oh, this is why you've done this experience and this is what I can see has happened. I love, you know, when like, you know, a little child might have started who's so nervous and, you know, they're just so, you know, to themselves and then, you know, you do these little experiences and you think how can I help them and then they're, See ya. I've got a friend. I've got things to do today. I just love seeing that growth and I love having the freedom to be a part of that growth. Like um, you don't have someone sitting here saying, no, you have to do this today. Okay, so what can I do? What responsibility can I take? How can I educate myself, the families, the children? Who am I listening to? Who can I converse with in my team? And then where can I go from there? I think that's such so magical to have that space just to exercise that growth. Love that. And, and I think mm. it's true. I think that we are not only helping the children and the educators under us to grow, but as we're supporting them, we're growing as individuals as well. Yeah, and the, the kids, like the children in your room to teach you more than you'll ever know. Like they, they put you on trial and error. Some things work and some things, you know, don't or you learn new things. And I think you have to be really open um, to taking that on board. I mean, that's, you know, reflection's massive in our industry. And if you're not open to reflect and reflect, like act on that reflection, because it's all right just to say, oh, you know, this didn't work, I'm going to do this. But if you don't act on it and take it on board, you're sort of doing a disservice to yourself and to, you know, your children and everyone around you. So I think it's just listening, hearing those voices. So important. And mm. what would you, how would you define the difference between play based learning and traditional mm. play? Traditional. Well, I think play based learning, you've got, you've got, now how can I word this? Play based learning, you've got so many different avenues to go it's not um how can I say this it's like a blank book you've got play-based learning but you've got a lot of um got a lot of different perspectives you've got a lot of different types of play you've got a lot of different theories um and you can integrate your learning into that it's not just like I'm trying to think of an example here yeah great but I'm, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's, you know when you know what you want to say, but I just can't word it properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take a minute. You know, you've got. You know, when I look at just okay, just playing with blocks. Yeah. I can sit out and I can have Lego in one room, and I can have Lego in another room. I've just got Lego in my one room there. It's just Lego on a mat. You know, it's just whatever it is. But then I've got Lego in this room. Um. And there's so many different things I can offer with that Lego, so many different possibilities that I can integrate, um, so many different types of play. You know, you've got your cooperative play, you've got different ways you can explore that play. Um, I th- yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to put yeah. it, you know, I'm going to articulate it for you. Yeah, you can articulate it. Do you, do you think it comes down to how the educator interacts with the child in that space? I think so. I think it's the engagement. If you don't have any engagement, then it's sort of just like a bit of a free-for-all, do you know what I mean? And that engagement comes down to your relationships. You're sitting there, you're engaging in the play you're being guided by them. I think it's a really important thing to remember. Like they're taking you on a journey and then you're there to support that journey. So, you know, with the Lego, I want to build something today. Okay, what can we build? Mm. What if we do this? Do you think these blocks would be great? Should we use a different type of block that play, you know, sort of it's like a bit of like a tennis game. You're sort of back and forth with one another and you just haven't just left them there. Because if you just leave 
they're gonna get you're gonna get bored like what and then what, what happens we, you know you start throwing it around the classroom <laughs> yeah and it just becomes a big sea of lego yeah yeah but you know and then that's when you use that play of lego to say okay now as an educator how can i what can i do to extend this tomorrow how can i you know offer something different how can i share this at home with families oh well you know Millie really loves lego today we created this you know this might be something you might want to explore at home too and you know they might do it at home and share it back with us i think that yeah then then there's your conversation yeah oh it's so true and i don't think as an educator we have to be there for the entirety of that experience but you can just sort of yeah come in and out in and out in and out as you need to um we talk a lot about interfering interrupting or being invited um to play but as you see the different play experiences you can go and um obviously guide nurture um facilitate and then move out of that play as they continue it so too you know like you 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 got that just like with your age groups too you know the four to fives you might start it and then then you come back and they've taken it somewhere completely different love that and you're like yeah and it's so amazing but you know with your toddlers you might be there a little bit more and just just knowing the age group and then you might step back and then they go and you might come back in and again they'll guide you yeah it's so true I'll let you know. And what's your go-to or favourite theorist or educational um, background that you, or approach that you put into your practice? I think for our service here and for my practice, we really love Reggio Emilia. We really love. And I really love um, the whole environment as a third teacher. Like I love, you know, when people walk through the doors here, I want their environment, I want families to feel comfortable. I know you spoke a lot about having a warmth when you walk through the service. And I think that's like, I just think for me too, how would I want to walk into a space? Or if I had a child, how would I want to drop them off into a space? So I really love, you know, reflecting with our team on how our spaces you know, invites everyone to feel that belonging, that warmth, how we, you know, set up things, what we what what we provide, what resources, you know. If we know in transport, let's get them have out so many different things that they can explore, have that somewhere that they are excited to come to every day. Really think about your environment. Because if you come in somewhere where it's just bland, you're just like, oh, you know, you don't want to really have – a really warm environment. I think that's so important. And it was actually really nice when you came through, Lisa, you made a comment on you felt that warmth. Yeah, yeah, so true. And it was so nice. And I remember I always think about that and, you know, different things that we can do just to have our environment reflect our philosophy and what we hope every child, you know, has throughout the – gets when they leave the doors of this service. Yeah, and who who you are. Yeah, who you yeah. are. And, yeah, it is all about that feeling, isn't it? We Even when we say to families when they're going through different services, it's like you will feel it. When you find that service that you'll, you, know. you'll know, you'll feel it. So, you know, yeah. educators should be also able to feel that as well. Yeah, I think your environment, that's why I really like the Regimilio because, it, you know, it, look, it dwells into the environment as the third teacher. And I really love the environment as the third teacher. I like that concept of that's educating the children too. You know, you've got the hands-on exploration and, you know, you've got, I really like that because your environment, you know, you've got, I love having an open space for children just to come in and explore and they create this, you know, you've got your spontaneous moments and that, that leads you off for the rest of the day. So I really I think that's important for people and educators to really consider is their spaces, their environment. Yeah, definitely. So important, so crucial. One of the crucial elements. Um, so to end off today, um, what is one piece of advice or anything that you sort of haven't said today to help guide um, educators in our space? One piece of advice to help guide educators in your space. I think it's just – I think what I would say is just – Take a breath, take a breath, reflect, I think really reflect on yourself as an individual, your strengths, what you want to do and why. Take the time to build relationships with, you know, your environment, your team, the children, 
and never like ever forget your passion. Never, ever, ever forget it. Because I think if you want to see a change in early childhood, a change in families, a change in children, a change in your team, you need to come with that passion. So just really, really remember that. Really, really remember that. Just take a breath. Just take a breath. Yeah, I've been reminding so many people that we're human. We're human. We make mistakes too. And sometimes making – and what we tell the kids, like mistakes, that's how you learn. Learn through play, learn through mistakes. Yep, trial and error. Yep. But just, yeah, remember it. Like I think sometimes in the industry now with all the, the staffing and, you know, it's been through a bit, the early childhood industry, you want to see that passion come back, you know, that – let's drive our industry to where we can be. And I think that everyone just needs to take a breath and just get ready, you know? Yeah, and realise how important, like we're educating children for things that don't even exist yet. Yeah, and we're doing it, we get to do it through the the most fun and exciting ways possible. You've got that freedom, exercise your freedom, use, use your freedom right. That's everyone's obligation, I think, like you said, the obligation. Yeah, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. I love that point. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's always fun. Um, and I love our time together. Um, can't wait to come out and see you guys again soon. Um, I know, I'm waiting. <laughs> you're waiting. I'm waiting. Um, but how can people find you, Belinda? Um, people can find me on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn. That's how I actually got to connecting with you outside of um, our service visit. Yeah, beautiful. And how do you do you want to spell your name in case people want to find you? So Belinda, B-E-L-I-N-D-A, and then my last name Severino, S-E-V-E-R-I-N-O. Awesome. So if you want to chat with Belinda, if you're in a similar role um, in your service across Australia or um, you want to get in that role in the future and have some amazing questions for her, um, connect with her on LinkedIn. She'd love to touch base. And thank you all so, so much for listening today. Thank you so much for your time, Belinda. Thank you so much, Lisa. No worries. Um, And then next week, um, join us for another amazing episode. But until then, keep making every moment count. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.